Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Welcome to Chopping It Up. I'm your host, Mike Hanlon, the Senior Restaurant and Food Service Analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence. Today, we're joined by Vivian Wang, the founder and CEO of Landed. Welcome to the pod, Vivian. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, I'm pumped to do this. Um, Looking forward to it. Um, Let's jump right in. What do you and the uh, team at Landed do for your clients? Sure. So we're tackling the number one challenge facing the restaurant industry, which is labor. So we help source, vet, engage, screen candidates from team members up to managers. So some of our clients range from McDonald's and Cava all the way to the Michael Minna Group and invited Club Corp. So we really run the whole gamut and um, and really just the goal is to get people staffed. Super simple goal there. And is it uh, GMs, uh, hourlies, both? Both. We call it everything within the four walls we can do. Okay, cool. Um, talk a little bit about what inspired you to start the company. Sure. So um, I'll take it back. So my parents actually immigrated to the U.S. from China, and their first two jobs were being a dishwasher and a waitress in Ohio. That's where I grew up. And so I kind of grew up in like the craziness of that of restaurants. It's super fun. And I kind of got hooked on it, you know, like once you, once you're in it, you just, you love the chaos. Now, fast forward a little bit. Um, I was in college and when I was in college, it was during the rise of the gig economy. So at Princeton, I studied public policy. And one of the things that we were looking at was economic policy. You know, what is the gig economy? It was a completely new concept at that time, but you had companies like Uber, Lyft, DoorDash, basically taking the labor model and turning it on its head. So I was looking closely at that, trying to understand, okay, the people that are supporting these gig economies, the workers, you know, where are they coming from? What is the life path for them? So those were all like just ideas that were swirling on in my head. And so let's, let's park that. That was going Mm -hmm. on. I have the restaurant experience. Now, right before I started Landed, I was actually working in retail. I was working at Gap Inc. with the CEO there on a bunch of different initiatives, one of which was our labor. Because if you have turnover in your stores, then ultimately you're not necessarily delivering the best customer experience that you could be. And this is something that every single brand I talk to is thinking about. Um, So what we did is we kind of overhauled the system of how we did hiring. And I took a lot of those parts and not every company has the resources of like a Gap Inc., but every company has the same labor challenges, whether it's at like the micro scale of a single coffee shop or a regional 10 location pizza shop, or it's a multi hundreds of location enterprise. So I'm, uh, I, all those things kind of came together. And that's why we decided, you know, we're, we're building this the easiest way for restaurants 
to hire and the easiest way for candidates to find a job that's actually the best fit for them. And then beyond that, what we're thinking through is like, how can we support those candidates from a finances perspective? So after somebody comes in, the second question is, how do we retain them? So different things thinking, uh, there, there are a bunch of different topics there that you can dive into, like how do people pay their bills? How do people get paid? How do people save? How do people get access to credit? Those are the types of things that we're going to be tackling next. And then finally, upskilling. So I call it the livelihood platform because livelihood is not just a job, but it's also your finances, it's your education, and there's a lot of stuff for us to do in all those different categories. Awesome. So when was the last time you were in Princeton? Uh, I think I went. I go to reunions almost every year. So the uh, reunions are always in May, and basically you enter the orange bubble, we call it, and you have you have joined a uh, an orange cult. Everyone's wearing tiger printed things or orange things. It's such a fun time. Uh, that's cool. Favorite restaurant in uh, in Princeton? Yes, it's Agricola. Really ah, good. nice, great. Great choice. Yeah, I'm, I'm working in Skillman office most of the time, okay. sometimes in New York. And uh, yeah, that's a great spot. It's great. And, you know, that entire place was new. It was like actually renovated and it was um, opened when I was when I was at school. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, have you ever been to Conti's? I haven't. No, that's one I'm going to have to add because I've, I haven't even heard of it. Is it on the main strip? Um, no, where is it? It's, um, Witherspoon? No. Oh, okay. Might be on Witherspoon. Um, yeah, Conti's Pizza is absolutely fantastic. It's kind of off, like, out of the way. Um, it's not, I don't think it's that close to campus, um, but Mm -hmm. it's absolutely fantastic. I highly recommend it. I'll be there. Pizza's my favorite food. That was, yeah, that was one of Portnoy's. I think it's a top 10 Dave Portnoy, uh, one slice um, rating. It, it, nice. it was very high up there. Yeah, yeah. So definitely check it out. Love uh, it. Next next May, you got yes. you got some homework to do. Um, all right, let's let's start with the five thousand foot view. You know, a lot of the um, economic indicators are weakening, but not um, the unemployment numbers. So, how strong is the U.S. job market right now? So it's kind of tricky, right? Because on the surface, it looks like unemployment is looking good, right? And unemployment, one of the first indicators of economic health. But if you actually like double click into that unemployment number, like labor participation is high. It's about 62% right now, but it's still lower than the pre-pandemic levels. So labor participation has fallen. You know, it's not a ton, but it's fallen. And when you actually look at like the roles that people are taking on, a lot of them tend to be more like part-time roles. So they're not necessarily these full-time roles that would indicate like a more stable job. They're a lot of part-time roles. And the number of part-time workers is increasing actually. So before, um, like literally like you're on, like now we're looking at like nearly 4 million workers are part-time workers. So, you know, that's something to think about because in the restaurant industry, being a full-time worker doesn't mean that you're working like nine to five, 40 hours a week. Being a full-time worker means that you have some consistency of like 30 hours that you're getting scheduled in per week. Now, if you're below that, then that means that you probably have to have more than one job. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and that's something I definitely wanted to ask. Um, Mm -hmm. So let's ask it now. What percentage of the workforce are working multiple jobs? 
Well, so what we're seeing at Landed, and we're, you know, focused on this restaurant industry, the hospitality industry, our industry is seeing that each on average, an employee will hold 2.1 jobs simultaneously. So 2.1 jobs, I mean, so basically two, but actually in some cases like three. And that's because maybe you'll get 10 hours over here, 20 hours over here, 20 hours over there. And that's what you need to support your, uh, your livelihood. But um, it's interesting too, though, because there are, there's kind of this rise of, and you know this super well, Mike, this, these like daytime cafes. Like daytime cafes are doing super well. Coffee shops are doing, you know, I think they're growing super fast. You have um, companies like Seven Brew that are popping up and are going to sweep the nation. You know, and mm -hmm. and so you have like all these like kind of jobs out there that are more like part time jobs um, where you can actually hold more than one job simultaneously. So I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Like having more than one job at the same time is not a bad thing as long as they're not in direct conflict with one another and they kind of help drive stability in like your livelihood. Yeah. So have you seen the actual number of full time jobs shrink? So there, there are a ton of open jobs is the problem. No. You know, there, there are a ton of open jobs. And so um, like the number of full-time jobs, like has, it's kind of stable, maybe a little bit up, but there's so many open jobs. Like it's, it's kind of crazy. And, um, and you actually also see like gig economy. I brought up the gig economy. That's like grown a lot. And um, I, that's kind of cannibalizing some of like the full-time job openings. Like, um, I know that we were going to talk about this and like, it's, it's kind of crazy, but like literally gig economy is up 80% since Over what January, uh, since January, 2020, like 80% wow. growth in just a short time frame, And, uh, that's like, you know, that's a contributing factor to keeping low unemployment levels, but that's not like, that's not like a sustainable, like full-time job. Yeah. So is this mainly younger workers that are, are, you know, uh, involved in the, these gig jobs? Not necessarily. So, um, there are a lot of workers kind of like, you know, there are the younger workers, of course, but a lot of the workers actually like they are ages like 25 to 40. And, um, you know, there's a big population of them that are the immigrant like workers, right? The immigrant workers are coming in, but of course they're, you know, they can work in the U S go through the background checks. They do all that stuff. But, um, but they're trying to like get their footing here still. So it's an easy way to get footing. Um, but really like there's a, they can get jobs that are not like the gig economy jobs. Just that, it's just that they have to like really get their bearings once they've like moved over. Okay. Yeah. I find that interesting. Cause I'd assume it would be the younger cohorts, people that aren't yeah, you mm -hmm. know, in a hurry to get health insurance and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. And I mean, so there are like a lot of these companies that have popped up to support gig workers, like everything, like help you get loans to get a car, help you get loans to get a, like, you know, moped, um, helps you actually get the um, health insurance and things like that. But it's tough because it's like, it's expensive. And you see states like um, California, you know, always the first ones to do it. And then you have like New York City. And, you know, they just passed like the $20 minimum wage. And that's going to change things because um, full-time employees are are uh, entitled to certain benefits, but part-time employees in many states are not. So like, how will that change how restaurants think about their labor mix is going to be 
um, it's going to, we're going to see a lot of changes because California is just one state, but if you're going to change it for all of California, basically the rest of the country is going to follow. And the company has to like think about things from that perspective and they're not going to just isolate it to California. It really is like challenging companies to think through everything. Yeah. We wrote that, um, when we wrote our note about the, about, um, the passage of that bill and it's, you know, Oregon, Washington, New York, Illinois, all those States are, are pretty fast followers when it comes to, um, some of the workers legislation that, that comes through California. Um, so you mentioned the gig economy has been around for a little while. How, how has it evolved over the years and, and what industries has it impacted the most? Absolutely. So the gig economy, you know, when it first started, like all these companies that were that were uh, even before like DoorDash and Uber and Lyft, there was like there were a bunch of other companies that, you know, ultimately didn't make it. And these were the ones that that succeeded. But what they really did was they like it was a labor arbitrage opportunity. You could take somebody from one place and bring them to another place where it might be a little bit more affluent um, and people are willing to pay for the service of convenience. And so this is interesting, too, because like at the same time as gig economy is, has been rising in the past, like uh, about like almost a decade, uh, you also have the Gen Z and the millennial like generations that have grown up on the Internet with instant gratification. So uh, as like the services have evolved, it's kind of like chicken and egg because like the consumer now, frank frankly, demands this type of instant gratification. So how the gig economy has evolved is, okay, great. It like started out with just cars. All right, we need to get around in cities. But then now it's, and then you have like DoorDash and Grubhub. And now everybody needs their food like at their doorstep in like 30 minutes. Like I know if I, if, if I see a restaurant takes more than 30 minutes to deliver something, I'm probably not going to order from it because everybody is so impatient nowadays. Yeah. Um, and so like the consumer now frankly demands it. And this has really like expanded outside of just, uh, you know, transportation, it's expanded outside of restaurants and hospitality where, I mean, most QSRs like, you know, 50 to 70% of their orders are like supported by the gig economy, their delivery type orders. So um, that's there. But then also like, we got to think about like warehousing and logistics. I mean, I think all of us knew about like the crazy supply chain crises that were happening the past couple of years. Um, and why is that? Well, like actually warehousing and storage and couriers and messengers, air transportation, all these industries are also not as high, not as up as like gig economy, which is 80%. But since February, 2020, they've been up like nearly 30 to 40% each of these categories. So, um, what that means is like now anything that we want to order, like we need like in this type of like instant speed. There are companies like Gettier here in New York, Fridge No More that, you know, unfortunately like, you know, went out of business <laughs> or got acquired, Gorillas, and they were promising 10 minute, 15 minute delivery times. I mean, it's insane. And then now you got to also look at other countries, like places like China, 15 minute delivery times have been, has been a norm in the major metropolitans for the past few years, actually. So um, it's just we're going to be moving in this type of direction where it's like instant gratification is super important. Digital data is super important because now we're kind of living in this like omni-channel world where everything is omni-channel now. So uh, data has to be omni-channel too. 
uh, and every industry is going to be impacted by it. But um, we're seeing huge impacts on hospitality, on transportation, on like home goods, retail, um, warehousing, these industries. And these are also the industries that like, you know, Landed focuses on because we think about high volume hiring as like really our sweet spot. And uh, high volume hiring is, a, is our sweet spot because they're high turnover. It's high activity industries. Yeah. Yep. As we know, our, our restaurant industry is a very high turnover. Um, yes. Are restaurants back to pre-pandemic staffing levels right now? Well, so it, so um, like you know, restaurants have experienced basically like a year and a half of consecutive employment growth. Um, so actually, like we do have the same number of restaurant employees, about 12.4 million today, as we did in, in early 2020. Okay, so that's good. But the problem is that like a lot of um, like the restaurant jobs have become um, complex and there are just more of them. Like there are a lot of open jobs and it's because if we look at like the restaurant and how it's evolved in the past couple of years, like we basically turbocharged an industry by like a decade in the span of like a year, like just crazy. And yeah. so like we have the, the, the introduction of like everybody has to be on third party delivery now. You just have to. Um, everybody has a loyalty program. Everybody has some, uh, not everybody, but most have some type of like cloud concept or ghost kitchen concept. Um, everybody has new hygiene practices and the good, the restaurants that have been doing well are growing really fast because, you know, there was, there's a lot of cheap commercial real estate that they were able to kind of snap up um, in the pits of the pandemic. So now, um, you know, you have this employment growth, but you have so many new openings. I mean, I think that probably like a third of all the locations that we're working on at any given point, okay, maybe a third is a lot, but like 25%, there are new openings. 25% of our clients, or a third of our clients have new openings, like literally every month. And these are like multiple. And so I think that like, we can't really compare apples to apples. Like where we were in February, 2020 is very different than where we are now. The jobs are a lot more complex and there are more jobs, which is why you have to introduce technology because restaurants can't continue to just hire headcount to support like their, their increasingly complex businesses. They have to introduce technology in order to keep up. Okay. How's that uh, application volume versus say last year and then uh, against pre-pandemic levels? Yep. Um, so application volume is like looking up like literally in the past like six, six months, I would say. Um, like last last year, um, it was really challenging because there were, um, you know, applications were kind of these like passive ghost applications where, um, you know, due to how like certain states had their unemployment benefits set up, like there was a lot of just like, you know, people applying and not necessarily looking for jobs. And so that that made it very challenging for the industry. So um, now we are finding that actually like what the metric that we look at is actually like a cost per application. So rather than the volume of applications, like what we really monitor heavily in each of the different zip codes um, across all 50 states, which were in all 50 states, um, is the cost per application. This is a good metric because um, cost per application tells you like how much traffic there is and how expensive that traffic is in applying for a job. 
So we actually found that, um, you know, because we're good at what we do at Landed, you know, we're able to come in at usually like 30 to 40% below like benchmark cost per applications. But um, even with, even among like Landed clients, we're finding that like cost per applications in the past two quarters have like dropped um, around like 15, 20% drop. Now we're ex- going to be expecting seasonality. We're going into the holiday season and holiday season is always very, very competitive. So we do expect like, you know, that to kind of increase a little bit for the next few months at least, but then it's going to go back. Um, so cost prep application is good. I mean, um, you know, paying to get candidates is not something that every single brand has to do, but every single brand has to do at some point, like usually around a new opening, usually around, um, you know, a specific, like we call them like 911 red locations that have challenges, maybe a place where, you know, Manager turnover is high. It's like nearly 70% at QSRs, which is crazy. Like, you know, they're like the lifeblood of a business. But when you have manager turnover, you would expect more um, turnover in the hourlies as well. So it's kind of like something that we have in our rep- in our arsenal to help. But um, but something that we are tracking very closely is that cost per application metric. Interesting. Um, many workers didn't want to go back to the restaurant industry post pandemic. Uh, is that still the case or there, or are some, some previous restaurant employees, uh, return into the business? We do see, um, not necessarily it's like previous restaurant employees. So, um, you know, now they have like a lot of these different options, but we do see like a new crop of restaurant employees. So before, uh, in 2020, we had about like seven, about seven percent of the employees were just for restaurants, of of the employees. Uh, and when we look at it now, it's actually a little bit higher. It's like around like eight percent of all employees are like you know in the restaurant industry. Um, so as a whole, if you look at it, it looks like there are more people turning to that. But I think a lot of that's coming from like the new, the new crop of Gen Z employees, you know, 70% of hourly workers nowadays are Gen Z. Um, it makes sense. Uh, but because everyone is, you know, a lot of your workers are Gen Z, you're going to have to rethink like how to retain Gen Z employees. It's different. Yeah. How's it different? I mean, I, I think that there are a lot of stereotypes out there. Okay. Mm-hmm. But, um, but there are like things that really like come down to like, you know, we run, we've run surveys and we like, we have over a million uh, candidates that, you know, we've engaged at any given point in time. We have like, you know, millions of like job applications that we've engaged with. And we're finding that uh, the most actually like it's this is kind of crazy, but like a third of Gen Z employees actually care more about career growth than the pay necessarily. So that's interesting because. Uh, that means that, you know, they're thinking about like, okay, what do I get in the long term here? This kind of goes back mm-hmm. to what I was talking about with like gig workers. Like, what do you get in the long term, like working a gig job? Like, you don't want to necessarily be doing that the rest of your life. And so um, at Landed, what we think a lot about is more like, okay, how do we help someone build their career in the industries that we serve? Um, the other thing that we're, that uh, brands that are preferred employers think about is like really playing up like that social awareness and responsibility uh, that they are that they are um, bringing to the community. So this is actually a crazy number from our surveying um, is that 51% of Gen Z employees will actually take a lower salary if their employer was environmentally responsible. Yeah, so 
that's kind of interesting because like, you know, sometimes you hear out there like, oh, my workers like move down the street for 10 cents pay bump or like you know, for 20 cent pay bump. And that is, you know, that is still definitely the case. But like these new like entry level team member employees, like, you know, think about things a little bit differently. You know, they were they've kind of grown up in this, like this new era. Um, and then the other thing that's going to be really important, this is going to be I will predict now calling it right here. I'm chopping it up with Mike and Vivian that in uh, 10 in the next like 10 years, daily pay or even streaming pay, like by the hour, by the minute, by the second, which is what, you know, basically gig economy already brings to the table mm -hmm. is going to be a necessary part of the job because, you know, 81% of hourly workers are worried about paying their bills. They're living paycheck to paycheck and having a two week or even weekly like pay cycle for them is just, it's like, it's actually quite archaic. Like it doesn't actually match up to like the speed and the instant gratification that, that we know are themes. Yeah, that's, that's cool. Very cool. So which restaurant chains are doing a good job of attracting GM talent, uh, hourly talent, and how are they doing it? Sure. So, um, you know, we, we work with a bunch of different companies like that, like that really range. And, um, like, of course I have like a little, I have soft spot for our clients, but like, you know, we see companies that are doing some pretty cool stuff. Um, so like Kava, for example, like they are very focused on, uh, you know, they've did, did super well and they're very like technology focused. They really understand that the general manager is really the lifeblood of their business and they have gardens, you know, they have these gardens of, um, managers and gardens of, of, of restaurants and they are all about just like actually the support center like the hq supporting their managers like their managers are really like the ones running the show and um and they make sure that you know anything that it, what the manager needs to focus on day to day is guest experience and like the quality of their product so the food the beverages and everything else they're thinking about technology and bringing technology in um and ai Generative AI is a hot topic in this area because, uh, and like, you know, what we're able to bring to the table is, hey, all that manual stuff that your managers are doing, they don't need to do anymore. Like Landed can help take care of it. But then also like personalization is the other piece. So one of our clients is, uh, you know, Lou Malnati's. Lou Malnati's is, has been known in the Chicago, you know, in the Chicago world forever. And they are expanding rapidly across the U.S. because they've done super well. And uh, one of the things that, like, you know, they care a lot about is, like, bringing that family, like, you know, old school Chicago deep dish, like, across, across the U.S. to Wisconsin, to Arizona. And so personalization of your interactions with people are super important. That's another thing that Gen Z and millennials care about. They don't want to talk to a chatbot. Like, how many times have you called and you're talking to a chatbot and you just click repeatedly hit zero, zero. I want to talk to a human being. Like a madman. I hit like it like a, mad, a madman. Yeah. yeah. And you know, the worst is when they respond and they're like, no, sorry, we don't recognize the zero. And I'm like, what? Like, I'm never going to talk to a human being. <laughs> yeah. It's like a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, and so like, you know, we're in the hospitality industry or we're in the hospitality business. Is it fundamentally a human business? And yet 
we think about like our employees and the employee retention. And we're like, you know, once they started at the job, we need to make sure they have a great experience. Well, what about before they start at the job? Because your first impression with the employee is like how you show up to the employee in the application process. So personalizing the outreach, making sure that you're really fast, making sure that you're like on top of it. Everybody likes to talk to somebody who is communicative, personalized, fast in the response and thorough. And frankly, like managers, if they're doing that like themselves on top of all the other things that we just described, that's part of a manager's job, like does not have time for that. Otherwise, they'd be a full time recruiter. Like that's why the recruiter job like exists. So that's something that we're able to help with is like that personalization and like leveraging AI and technology to do so rather than necessarily having to hire, um, not even hire, but just like, you know, put more stuff on your GM's shoulders and on their plate. Yeah. So you mentioned that Kava has very strong communications between their GMs and their support center. Um, what are the implications for chains that don't do this well and, and how can Landed help solve that issue? Sure. So, I mean, the big implication of it is that we're in a competitive world, right? If you have a finite labor pool and uh, that labor pool has a lot of options, not just even in the restaurant industry, but in other industries, uh, you know, because there's also the rise of remote work too, um, then you're going to just stay perpetually understaffed. And there's this like negative cycle, right? Because you got to, when, when you're understaffed, what are you doing? You're probably paying overtime. You might be paying for temp. You're probably cutting hours in like the most important time of the day. Um, for example, like late night labor. Late night labor is a nightmare like for, for most companies, but that is a big opportunity because uh, late night tends to have larger basket values um, compared to their daytime counterparts. They frequently require delivery services. So that's something that you have to have set up. Um, and if you're not mastering late night or you're not becoming a top player in late night, you are going to be missing out on a huge revenue opportunity. Okay. But you can't open late night when you're understaffed, right? And if no one wants to come work from you know, 11 p.m. to 4 a.m. for you. Or on the flip side, you know, we work with Tim Hortons. Duncan, want to come in at 4 a.m. to bake your donuts, you know, then you're kind of out of luck. So either you, uh, it's kind of like a twofold, right? So there's some initial stuff that we can do that's like in the short term. You can introduce like more competitive pay. Okay, great. You can, uh, but without like the money piece, like, one in every three candidates, hourly candidates, will just take the first job they're offered, actually, uh, because, you know, they're wanting to move fast. So it, it, even if you pay the exact same amount as the person next door, if you're just faster at getting to them and, you know, landed, of course, we make everything very immediate. We're 24 hours a day, seven days a week, constantly communicating with candidates, delivering personalized um, responses using our generative AI plus our human recruitment specialist team. Um, then you're going to be able to, like, with that, you're going to be able to stay competitive, even without hitting necessarily your bottom line. You just have to be faster and better at running operations. Um, and, you know, the long-term thing there is, like, also, how do you make sure that you're actually vetting for quality candidates? Quality candidates are something that everybody wants. Like, nobody ever says they don't want a quality candidate, but everybody does desperation hiring. It, like, Everybody. And so when you're down a couple people and you have your general manager who's way overpaid to be flipping burgers, flipping burgers, <laughs> then, you know, you're not necessarily like running an efficient operation, but you have to do that to kind of limp, limp on. So 
what we do is we kind of sit down and understand, okay, what does a quality candidate look like for every single, uh, you know, brand uh, and for every role? Because it varies. And so once we understand what that is, then we go and we actually develop like, you know, a hiring plan. We go and find those quality candidates so that really your managers are only spending time with quality people who can be on their team soon. So they're not wasting time with people who are not going to be good fits. Instead, they're spending more time. They have more time to spend with their existing team to know how the existing team is doing. And so it sounds like, you know, you may wave a magic wand and Landon can do all these things. But of course, it's like a two way street. We got to sit down and understand like that holistic strategy. And then we will um, we will implement that for you. And then just have your managers make that ultimate hiring decision because we, of course, would never take that away from them. Yeah, that's been a huge theme with our companies, the companies that we cover is, uh, you know, freeing up time for the GMs, freeing up time for them to touch the tables and uh, yes. coach the team and and not have to get into the, to that daily grind. Um, you know, I think I think everybody's pretty much woken up to the to fact that, you know, you need good, GM, good, strong GMs. Um, run in your restaurants to be successful. Um, you know, another one of the themes that we've written about this year was late night and how, um, some of the chains that do a really strong business at late night, Jack in the box leads the pack, but you know, Wendy's McDonald's has some 24 hour stores, um, that they had kind of this sales tailwind because late night would get better. Um, and you kind of touched on it a little bit in your previous answer. So, so what is going on? Why is late night labor improving? Um, is it just them offering more pay or is there something else in there? Yeah. So late night labor is improving. We do see actually this like introduction of like tiered pay rates. So tiered pay rates is like, um, something that like was previously mostly happening around like seasonal, like around like holiday basically. But now I think that, uh, that restaurants are getting smarter about this where they're like, okay, like this is a supply and demand problem, right? So if I increase like the price of the, um, of the demand, then the supply will, the, you know, the supply will come. And so, uh, that this is something that like, I think this was a norm that had to be introduced like uh, during like the COVID timeframe where it was just like a mess. And so now um, I actually very frequently see like, you know, actually 20% pay rate increases for like certain uh, for certain um, shifts. And so late, late, late night labor is improving because they have these like, you know, they have that increased um, pay you know capacity, but then also, um, Back to like what I was talking about with like the like having each person have two to three jobs simultaneously. If you have a day job or like a day part job, then you can also work some late night as well. Um, and so that's that's something that is really interesting. And uh, and ultimately, like the other thing about late night is that late night you it's a lot more about delivery and like digital ordering. So like you know one of the things that we see is. Uh, a lot of folks in the restaurant industry have faced, you know, uh, 62% of workers have felt like they've been mistreated by customers, wow. by guests. So, you know, at some point in time, right? Like somebody else is having a bad day, they take it out on you. When it's late night, it's a lot more about like interfacing with a computer. <laughs> you know, you're interfacing with like these third-party apps that are coming in. You just have to do your job well. It's, you know, this back of house focus. 
And then you, and then you're able to kind of like push that forward. One of the things that at Landed we do is we also support multilingual like hiring. So we're able to have like do hiring in like many different languages. And there has been like a surge in like non-English speakers, like entering the restaurant industry in the past few years. And, but it's really important. I see actually certain restaurants like running their entire back of house in Spanish, actually. Um, and all the instructions are written in Spanish. And these are like large chains. Like these are, they, they're quite large. Um, and so that's interesting, right? Because we have to be a lot more accommodating of the diverse, like of the diverse uh, labor population and uh, make sure that you can be the employer of choice, not just to English speakers, but to everybody who might be working yeah. in the industry. And when you have like a certain day part in your shift that allows for, you know, anybody to come in, even if maybe they don't have the front of house experience, maybe if they are like native speakers of another language, um, it expands your pool. But you can also expand your pool if you just make your entire hiring process more accommodating of different languages. Yeah. And just removing stress from the employees that you do have yes. that maybe, uh, you know, English is a second language for right? Exactly. Uh, Shake Shack has tried a four day work week. Does it work? So four day work week is a tricky one. <laughs> um, I, I think like what we've actually seen work really well, um, because like for hourly workers, like the four day work week is kind of like, it happens to some of them anyway, but really like where it comes down to is like the general manager. When I talk about the four day work week, when, when I hear about like, you know, days off, I hear about it primarily around like that manager role. Because the manager is like, you know, it's it's a stressful job. I actually hear some um, companies that have like two managers per restaurant so that there can be like a little bit more coverage. Um, and they actually found that that's cost effective because manager turnover is so expensive. Um, so what I'm actually seeing work really well is um, having two consecutive days uh, for managers to take time off. So it doesn't have to be Saturday, Sunday, but it could be Monday, Tuesday. But as long as they have those two consecutive days, and then maybe during those days you have the AGM or maybe you have like that kind of the other GM or maybe you have the district manager kind of um, just be a, be like more hands-on during those two days. That's really the thing that is like making managers a lot happier and helping them like stay. So that's like something, a way to combat that 68, 70% manager turnover. And uh, so I would really encourage folks to like, think about it more so from the perspective of the manager, like four day work week, good, but really like two consecutive days off is like really what I'm seeing, like works well. Yeah. It makes sense to me. You need, it's a tough job. So you need the, those two days to kind of decompress. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Instead, instead of Sunday scaries, it might be the Tuesday scaries or something, but. Exactly. Yes. And I mean, also like that's a, a lot of. You know, Chick-fil-A has Sundays closed like every every week. Right. And, you know, there are other businesses that do that. Um, you know, that's like I don't I think a lot of businesses are they can't like necessarily do that. But I mean, there are many companies that do quite well that make it work. For sure. All right. Good stuff. Um, listen, next time you're in Princeton, let me know. Maybe we'll do Conti's together. All right. That's the plan. Awesome. I'll hold you to it. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for doing this. Uh, where can the audience go to find more about Landed? You can hit me up at Vivian at gotlanded.com. Um, I am all ears. And you can also go to our website at gotlanded.com, G-O-T-L-A-N-D-E-D.com. You can also find me on Twitter and LinkedIn. 
All right, good stuff. Yeah, um, restaurateurs that I know have have great things to say about you and the business. So uh, I also want to thank uh, the audience for tuning in. If you like the episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues. Check back in a couple weeks. I'll be interviewing Bloomberg's U.S. restaurants reporter Daniela Sertori Cortina. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.